Are you planning for retirement, buying a home, sending your kids to college, or looking for ways to protect your estate assets? The Simply Advised podcast connects you to trusted professionals, subject matter experts who communicate critical information in a meaningful and memorable way to guide you to make smart choices. Listen in as our experts help you handle whatever life throws your way. Hello and welcome to Simply Advised Podcasts. Today, our guest is Brad Gatto, RICP advisor and one of the founding partners at Fiat Wealth Management. We're going to go through a number of things today. One, we're going to have a chance to get to know who Brad is, what makes him tick, and really the journey that he's taken to become the advisor he is today. And then we're going to have the honor of being educated on an IRA exit strategy that is truly fundamentally unique and absolutely fascinating. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Now, I think everybody wants to know just a little bit about how you have gone from just being regular Brad to super Brad, right? The, the Brad that we're looking forward to learning from today. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey as an advisor, please? Yeah, I, I got into the industry by accident, quite frankly. Uh, this was not what I went to school for, not what I intended, but this is where I ended up uh, back in 2006. I started with a big box firm, realized pretty quickly that that big box firm wasn't going to satisfy the desires I had for my individual clients. In 2009, my business partner, Matt Stahl, and myself decided to make the leap to become entrepreneurs, start our own independent firm. And as fun as that is, that that is actually a rather scary and a, and a big leap from leaving a big box store. <laughs> but what it also does and what we found is that it gives you the opportunity to actually do more for your clients. Would you mind telling our audience what you do for the people who work with you now? Yeah, the term financial advisor is obviously very broad, where Matt and I have chosen to specialize over the last decade plus is in the pre-retirement retirement crowd, but not so much the traditional, my mutual fund can beat up your mutual fund and I'm going to increase your rate of return. But this daunting task of, I've got a pile of money that I've created over the last 30, 40 years of saving I didn't save the pile of money just to have a pile of money. I saved it to spend it. And so what we've focused in on is helping people, educating people on how to spend their money. It would seem that there would be a lot of resources out there to help people make these decisions, but but you have actually found that that's not true. Why Why do people need to go through your process and have these conversations? That's a great question. Matt, I think the answer is twofold. One, my industry just tends to focus on accumulation, making your pile of money a bigger pile of money. And don't get me wrong, that's important. We all want a bigger pile of money to, to some extent. But at the end of the day, what we've found is most people nearing retirement or in retirement want to figure out how to take that pile of money and turn it into the lifestyle that they dreamed about for decades. You know, nobody retires with the thought of... <laughs> Well, Bob Barker retired, so that's not a fun show to watch anymore. So daytime television is not what it used to be. So people want to do stuff. In order to be okay with spending your money, you have to be comfortable, and that entails a lot of things. But the other interesting part about what you said, or your question, I guess, is there isn't a lack of information, I don't think. The, the problem is the lack of wisdom around what to do with that information. And that's really where we come in. 
as we were getting to know each other before we started recording, you had referenced a movie that is exactly what you're talking about there, which is this movie Robots, which made me so happy. I, I was just kind of floating on air that I wasn't the only person who heard this quote and thought that it was so powerful. What is the quote that you use with your clients regularly that has sure. to do with this movie? <laughs> See a need, meet a need. And that need was pretty simple. Advisors are a dime a dozen as, as I see it. And I don't mean that in a, in a demeaning way to any other advisor. They're, they're probably all, most of them, great at what they do. But the need that they were not meeting that we saw was the ability to teach people how to spend their money, how to gracefully get into retirement and find appropriate strategies to get comfortable with this idea or concept of spending. It's a big behavioral change and our bodies don't like change. It's, it's scientific. It's called homeostasis, whether it's a positive change or negative change, we don't like it. And so this idea of watching your pile of money go backwards because you're spending it is really tough. And so what that leads to is people don't do it. They don't spend their money. They live retirements that are below the standard they probably could. They they miss out on vacations they could probably take, gifting to their kids and grandkids they probably could do. Some really cool opportunities because they're fearful and it's because of a lack of wisdom of how to gracefully enter retirement, spend those, those assets that they work so hard to save without the fear of running out of it. Yeah. I've heard from so many advisors over the years that they they have to sit down with their clients, Brad, and 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 gently poke them with a hot pokey stick to, to take the vacation. You can do this, right? Yeah. But not all yeah. advisors are created equal in this in this realm, right? It's just like uh, being a doctor, in my opinion. You know, there are doctors who specialize in this, 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 and this, and this, and you want to go to a specialist. And in your situation, you are a specialist uh, with your designation, right? In taxes, in retirement, overall, just as an income planner. What are we going to learn about today? And, and how do you position this so that people who truly need this understand that this is the education I need? Another great question. I guess, simply put, what I hope people learn is a strategy or two to get more comfortable with the idea of spending their money. Okay. And so that they don't live in fear and retirement and not do the things that they want to do. I mean, you brought up the idea of vacations. I can't tell how many people walk in my office and we ask those types of questions about what what are their dreams and what do they want to get done. The one that stands out is is a gentleman that want wants to go to Normandy, wants to see Normandy has family ties to the war and to Normandy specifically. And this gentleman was pulling a certain amount of money out of his accounts every month to live on to supplement social security and, and a pension that he has. And I just helped him do the math. And I helped him realize that even if he had taken all of his money out of the markets, put it in a Folgers can, buried it in his backyard, and just took those distributions on a monthly basis, that his money was going to last 200 years. Wow. What basically just walked him down the hall to pick up the phone to call a travel agent to book his trip to Normandy. Nice. <laughs> you you said something that it seems entirely counterintuitive to me, which is which is funny because I mean we're not too far into this podcast and you haven't even started educating me yet. But you're you're talking about helping clients spend their money in retirement where most advisors are trying to retain as many assets as they possibly can <laughs> for their clients in retirement. I mean, the, you're you're really going against the grain here, man. 
Well, see, need me to need. Yep. I don't know why. There's, I have a lot of thoughts in my head of why this is not talked about more than it is. I won't bore you with all of my thoughts, and some of them are, are biased and and my opinion. That said, it just does. You're right. It just doesn't exist, and so we chose to to specialize in this space and and. We joke in the office. The internal joke in the office is we teach people how to party. Wow. <laughs> nice. Well, let's break, let's let's dive into this. How how do you teach people? Let let's talk about this IRA exit strategy and what you're going to talk to our listeners about today. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of things you can do, and we're not going to cover in one podcast all the the potential things you can do. But for today's purposes, one of the biggest unknowns in retirement is taxes and what that is going to look like for them. It's one of the two largest expenses that retirees face, the other one being healthcare. Gaining control over your largest expenses in retirement is no different than being 25 years old and really paying attention to your mortgage and your student loan debt, because those are the two largest expenses that come out of your budget every single month. The thing that I think is lost on most people entering retirement and, and getting into retirement is that every time you saved a dollar and you in, and you invested it or even just to cash and you put it anywhere, IRA, 401k, Roth IRA, after-tax brokerage account, savings account, of course, there's an investment implication to that decision. But there's also a tax implication to that decision. Did I put that money away on a pre-tax basis? Did I put it away on an after-tax basis? What does the tax bill look like on the growth? Are there limitations to when I can pull that out based on age, based on taxes, these sorts of things? What we try to do is educate on tax liability, tax law. The other piece of that, Matt, is that the vast majority of people that we talk to have the majority of their retirement savings in an IRA or a 401k. Right. And that that money is tax deferred money. Now, what's interesting about that, I guess, is that most people think of tax deferrals, I'm getting out of taxes. When that's not, in fact, true at all. We joke around with people all the time and tell them the only way to get out of taxes is to commit a felony. <laughs> so uh, there is no getting out of taxes. Uh, can you minimize your tax liability? Absolutely. And it's interesting that the IRS doesn't educate us on how to do that. In fact, if you really think about it, the IRS puts the onus on us to tell them how much we owe in taxes. Right. Right. If you're the person who is sitting on 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe even 100% of all the money you've saved for retirement is sitting in a bucket where you've never paid a tax bill, like an IRA or a 401k or a 403b or 457 plan or you name it, the question is, how do I get it out of there? When I get it out of there, I have a bill to the IRS. And so how do I create a strategy to exit those buckets of monies, those pre-tax buckets, and minimize the impact the IRS can have on my life? And that's that to me has always been, the tax deferred thing always makes me smile because people don't ever think that that tax bill is going to come due. We know that there is a big problem when it comes to that. And if this is not handled correctly, then that tax bill can actually not just at one point, like a one single point in time, but over the life of your retirement can can be brutally punishing and make it so that you can't live the retirement that you've dreamed about, right? Absolutely. In fact, we see it every week. 
We have cases that we put together a long-term IRA exit strategy for prospective clients and clients. And for average Joe American, that can have a six-figure long-term impact on their portfolio. And a lot of times, Matt, I know it's hard to believe, but it's true, a seven-figure impact. And I'm not talking about people that have tens of millions of dollars to get to a seven-figure overall impact in portfolio value through the life of your retirement. So it, it is a big deal. One of the myths that I have heard that I'd like for you to dive into a little bit is people think that they're going to be in a lower tax bracket when they retire, and they also don't realize <laughs> where taxes are now. Would you mind educating us on that, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh because it's what I was taught when I got into the industry and the type of planning that I was taught to do and the decisions I was helping clients make based on the education I received from the big box firm that I worked for. If you think about the people that are retiring today, that are in their late 50s, early 60s, maybe 70 years old, depending on how old they were when they finally decided to retire. And let's get something straight. Retirement doesn't necessarily mean you're not working, right? It just means you don't have to if you don't want to. That said, those people were in the workforce obviously over the last 20 years in the 2000s, they were in the workforce in the 90s, they were in the workforce in the 80s, and they were in the workforce in the 70s. And sometimes even in the 60s, that said, tax rates since then have done nothing but go down. In mm -hmm. fact, to, to your point of where do we stand today, we ordinary income taxes, which is how you're taxed on your wages, it's also how you're taxed on IRA monies, 401k monies when you pull them out, have never been lower. We've had ordinary income taxes in this country for a little over 100 years, and they've literally never been lower. Well, let's talk about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, because that didn't just give us a preview of what's coming, but it also gave us a kind of a nice line in the sand where you can educate people on what the yeah. This act did. So, would you mind giving us a little bit of history on that 2017 act and and tell us how that applies to people today? Sure. If anything's consistent with taxes, it's change. the The Tax Cuts and Job Act changed a lot of things on the corporate tax side, but it also changed a lot of things on the personal tax side. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think there's about 23 different provisions that went into place in 2018. Act in 2017 starts affecting taxes in 2018. The net result, to keep things simple, Matt, is it put taxes on sale for the vast majority of Americans. The good news is you can figure that out if because we get the question all the time, Brad, am I in that crowd? Are my taxes on sale relative to what they were prior to the Tax Cuts and Job Act? The good news is it's taxes. We can figure that out without question. But the interesting part, Matt, is that it's it's not permanent. So these these provisions that were put in place to put taxes on sale for the vast majority of Americans were temporary and they actually expire in 2025. How do you continue educating people about where they're supposed to go without getting political, without <laughs> bringing in the massive passion that people seem to have surrounding this stuff and really focus on actionable items? It's hard to stay out of politics when it comes to taxes. But the tax code is the tax code. To the extent that it's a law, to the extent that it is today what it is, we just have to live inside of 
the facts that we have and do the best that we can. Given the information that the Tax Cuts and Job Act put taxes on sale for the vast majority of people, and given the information that that's not permanent, I would encourage people to look at it as the same thing or the same way they do when they walk into Target or Walmart. There's an item at Target or Walmart, could be a blouse, could be a book, could be whatever, and that item is on sale. As Americans, we're taught, we're trained, it's ingrained in us from a very young age that you buy things when they're on sale, if you can. And if you think about an IRA or a 401k, there's a lien on that account. There's a tax lien on the account and the IRS has let you defer that lien and you get to choose when to pay it off, kind of. If you wait too long to try to pay them back, they'll force you to pay them back. It's called required minimum distributions, that magical age is 72. In the formative years, the early years of most people's retirements in your in your 60s, prior to getting to this stage where the IRS forces you to, to exit your IRA, the idea or concept should be that simple. When's the best time to pay off the IRS? I've got $100,000 IRA or a million dollar IRA or $5 million. It doesn't matter what the amount is. The bottom line is you owe the IRS money. And the question isn't, do I have to pay them? The question is, what's my bill when I choose to pay them? And what we know to be factual is tax rates are lower today than they've ever been. And what we also know to be factual is that that is true for the vast majority of Americans. If those set of circumstances are correct, which they are, the nice part about this conversation, Matt, is in my industry, there's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of opinion. This whole idea of my mutual fund can beat up your mutual fund and that kind of thing that I mentioned earlier, you kind of have to have some faith in, in your advisor and I hope you all do, but this is not an opinion. This is just fact. And so it stands to reason that if taxes are on sale and you owe the IRS some money, well, I'd rather pay them off when it's cheaper than it is when it's more expensive. Right. How does this apply to people who are married and then also really the marginal tax rates? Would you mind? Let, let's let's uh, yeah. let's take this to another level here. Let's let's get a little deeper. It's obviously going to be different for single filers than it is married filers. There's a lot of nuance in the tax code. In fact, I heard a statistic once, Matt. I haven't double checked the statistic. But if you printed out the tax code on regular sheets of paper, it's something like 77,000 pages long. So obviously there's nuance. That said, there's opportunities for single filers that don't necessarily exist for married couples and, and vice versa. And so the planning needs to be that specific. But to give you some practical examples of how you can try to take advantage of current tax law and be proactive about paying your bill to the IRS. Being married is one of the things you need to be cognizant of. Because when you're married, you have a, dedu a deduction or exemption, if you want to look at it that way, that you won't always have. And that deduction or exemption is the fact that you are married and you get to file a joint tax return. If you just look at the marginal tax brackets, they're much more advantageous to married couples. What happens is people get to retirement, married couples in this example, and they've got IRA money, they've got 401k money, 
Matt, what my industry tells them is if you don't need the money, don't spend it. Defer, 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 defer. Then you get to that magical age of 72. The IRS doesn't allow you to defer 100% of it anymore. You have to start pulling it out. But they defer the bill as long as they possibly can. And then they only take the minimum bill that they have to take. And then ultimately, because life works this way, somebody dies. Yeah. Could be the husband, could be the wife. The surviving spouse, we know them as a widow or a widower, is no longer married. So they don't get to file a joint tax return. They have to file a single tax return. Maybe they inherited husband's IRA or wife's IRA or spouse's IRA, whatever that looks like. They now start taking the distribution. But those distributions now come at a single filer rate rather than a married filer rate. The average increase we see in effective tax rates to the federal government at that point is about 40 to 70% increase in the bill. Ouch. Yeah, we call it, it's not called this in the tax code, <laughs> but here at Fiat, we call that a widow's tax or a widower's tax. It's just another thing to be thinking about. If you if you are married, we always ask the question, Matt, what are the odds that you and your spouse die on the same day? It's, it's pr probably ridiculously low. Almost zero, right? Then it begs the question, what are the odds that this is going to happen to you? that at some point there's going to be a surviving spouse and that surviving spouse is going to see an effective increase of 40 to 70% as the tax code exists today in the tax rate on that IRA that you deferred because my industry told you to. That's terrifying to me. How, how do you, how do you help with that, dude? I mean, <laughs> you were just talking about how this is an opinion. This is black and white. This is tax code, eight yeah. billion pages of, of paper that you print off, right? How, how can you today help people solve some of these problems so they don't have to worry about that sometimes 20, 30 years after they stop working? A 1040 is a 1040. So every time you file your taxes at the end of the year, well, actually, it's always the following year. It's always reactive math. All your decisions get made in 2020 and then sometime early in 2021, unless you file an extension, you're putting down on a piece of paper and basically telling the IRS, this is what I did last year. This is all the income I had come in. These are all the deductions that I have. And so this is my bill to you. Because that's the way our system works, what it allows us to do, Matt, is really just put pen to paper and say, okay, let's look at your 1040 this year. Let's look at anticipated 1040s in future years and figure out what your liability is going to look like year after year and start deciding when we should be paying this bill. And, and normally what we find, Matt, is that, that people should be purposefully pulling money out of their IRAs and 401ks today that they don't necessarily need to spend. In fact, there's another lie or internal misnomer that that people have in their head is that if I pull money out of my 401k or I pull money out of my IRA, that means I have to spend it. Because we get that answer all the time. Well, Brad, I don't need the money. I didn't say you needed the money. Mm -hmm. I just told you you need to get out of your IRA. That doesn't mean we have to put it in your checking account and you're forced to go to Target and spend that money. We can take that money and just resave it, but save it in a different tax bucket so that it's not in a deferred state anymore waiting for future tax law increase that we know for a fact is coming. And that bucket is as protected as it could possibly be protected based off of tax code today, right? Well, when it comes to taxes, there are three 
buckets. There's pre-tax monies, there's after-tax monies, and then there's tax-free monies. All of them have different implications. Make no mistake, the decision to pull money out of an IRA and go to an after-tax account or to go to a tax-free account is not an investment decision. If you own, as an example, if you own ABC company stock in your IRA and you love it, and you, you don't necessarily want to get rid of ABC company stock. And so you struggle with this idea of moving out of the IRA and is it riskier for me to go to an after-tax account or to a tax-free account? Well, the answer is moving money out of your IRA is, is a tax decision. It's not an investment decision. Because if you, if you love ABC company stock and you want to hold it in your after-tax account or your tax-free account, you can do that. We just move the money out of the IRA, force the tax bill upon us today purposefully because we know it's cheaper today than it will be in the future, and then reinvest in the exact same investments in the other buckets for all intents and purposes. All we did was move money from the left hand to the right hand to force the bill because the bill's on sale. As I was preparing for these questions for you today, with this act in 2017 and the in the fact that you're talking about taking advantage of things that are on sale i mean it, it's like the whole idea of you know buying low you know selling high you're right. buying low here you're you're basically paying a bill but but there have been some other things that have happened with this tax code that are applicable for people to pay attention to especially because you know taxes are going to be coming up because they do every year <laughs> are there any other highlights from this tax code that you want to dive into before we start or or spend just a little bit more time on some of the other components that we need to talk about today i don't know if there's more specific details because i think the concept is what matters the problem in a podcast like this, Matt, diving into details is everybody's situation is a little bit different. What I really want to impress upon people is the tax code today is more advantageous than it's ever been relative to, to paying the bill. You know, the complaints of today of, uh, I don't like paying taxes and taxes are high and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the top tax rate was 50%. I mean, that was in the 80s. In the 70s, it was 70%. When Rockefeller was making all his, his money, the top tax rate was 90%. And yet, here we sit today with a top tax rate in the 30s and effective rates that are extremely low for the vast majority of Americans. It's not just taxes while you're alive that are on sale right now. It is also taxes at death. Mm -hmm. The estate taxes as they stand today, are more advantageous than they've ever been. I'm not an estate planning attorney, and I don't draft legal documents like wills and trusts. But the idea of building a plan around gifting, around estate documents, and sitting down with somebody like myself, your existing advisor, whoever it may be, creating direction for your money, creating a purpose for your money, whether that is I want to the person that wants to bounce the check to the undertaker, or you're the person that wants to make your family millionaires at your death, it doesn't matter what your outcome is, just start planning for it and preparing for it today. There are some creative things you can do in, in this world that we live in where taxes are more in our favor as, a, <laughs> as an American than they have been really ever. And it stands to reason, we know the Tax Cuts and Job Act goes away, right? We know that in 2025, if, if nothing changes, and I'm not saying nothing's going to change, if anything's consistent with taxes, it's change. But as the law states today in 2025, we lose this little sale we've got going on. But what we also know, 
there's been a lot of stimulus this year. It's been a it's been a crazy year. A lot of stimulus, trillions of dollars of stimulus written out of a, a checking account on the government level that has no money in it. What that's caused, Matt, is I think it was about four weeks ago, roughly, that we surpassed the highest debt to income our country has ever had. Everybody knows the national debt's high, but our GDP or our income as a country has also grown over the years. And it's gotten to a point now where we have more debt to the income that we bring in than we've ever had. The record prior to about four weeks ago, don't quote me on the exact time, recently, we'll just say, was after World War II, after we just got done funding an entire world war in two different theaters. I don't know if I would say that that's terrifying, depressing. I'm trying to figure out a word <laughs> to uh, qualify that in my own mind, but I'm, I'm sure our, our listeners are, are are quite concerned about that. So can I flip the coin though? Please, it's opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's opportunity. It's a, we here at Fiat, it's an exciting thing that we get to do every single day. We get to help people take advantage of the opportunity. Bringing context to the opportunity is important, which is why I give some of the facts that I give to help people understand, look, this is a really good deal, really good deal. And if we make some really important decisions for you early on in your retirement or as you're nearing retirement, then let's be honest, even if you're later on, if you're that person that's 75, 80 years old and you've been in retirement for the last however many years, it may not be as impactful for you during your life, but if you're planning on leaving any of those assets to your family, it can be generationally impactful. It's awesome stuff. The unknown is always scary. The future can always be scary if you focus in on those negative things. The positive is we've got some amazing opportunities to try to take advantage of tax law as it stands today and really help people in that area. Without getting too specific, because everybody's situation is fundamentally different, would you mind talking a little bit about some of the tools for tax control that that you educate people on that you actually do for your clients, please? Yeah. Running them through each individually, the tax code and what their effective tax liability is and helping them make decisions around different things they can be doing each and every year to take advantage of the tax code in and of that year. That IRA exit strategy is exactly what it sounds like. If I've got the vast majority of my money sitting in my 401k or my IRA or my 403b or 457 plan or whatever pre-tax bucket you have, this idea of year after year after year after year, figuring out how much of that money can I pull out. Matt, I, I, maybe it's a bad analogy and maybe this gets cut out of the podcast, but we joke here all the time that this idea of an IRA exit strategy and kind of pulling money out, it's like a bell curve where we do these, this planning and we try to figure out what's the maximum amount of, of kind of income or tax liability I can, I can take on in this year and have it be positive to my overall long-term plan situation details. Because at some point, you start hitting the back end of the bell curve, and if you do too much, it, it becomes a, a negative. And so the analogy we use all the time is like alcohol. Mm. One or two beers, maybe you're having more fun. Maybe it's a positive. You get to that fourth and fifth one, <laughs> you're yeah. hitting the back end of the bell curve, and it's not fun anymore. And you're, there's long-term ramifications to those decisions. And quite frankly, the older we get, Matt, the more those ramifications affect us. <laughs> in both situations, right? In, in, the, in, the, in the beers and in retirement. That's, that's, yeah. that's a great analogy, man. So on a practical level, what it looks like is literally just putting pen to paper with every individual client, putting their 1040 down, looking at where their situation's at, figuring out the details. How much guaranteed income do you have coming in the door through Social Security and pensions? What does that put your long-term 
for sure income at? What does that make your tax liability look like? How does that impact your Medicare premiums in the future? How does that affect the taxation on your social security in the future? And if we do figure out how to exit your IRA now and start taking money out that we don't necessarily need to spend, but we're going to reposition what does that look like for you next year? What does that look like for you in five years? What does that look like for you in 10 years? And ultimately what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to get to, Matt, is not just minimizing the impact that the IRS has on their life. More importantly, trying to give them permission to spend their money Yeah, and get them comfortable with the idea of spending their money. And, and the saying, as the saying goes, there is no true freedom without boundaries. Hmm. We need to set the boundaries. And so if we can dial in exactly what they want their legacy to look like, if we can dial in exactly how much money they want to spend in retirement, what they want their budget to look like, and we can dial in expected liability of the IRS year over year and kind of plan around these things, what we've found is it gives permission to people to, to party, as we like to joke. And a real life example of that is not just, I, I talked about this gentleman wanting to go to Normandy earlier that didn't feel like he could quote unquote afford to go to Normandy. Uh, we just had a case here recently where a client, we met a client through a workshop that we do where we talk about this topic in more detail. He doesn't live in the same state. He's, a, he's an out-of-state client. We met him virtually actually during COVID. <laughs> he came to us in the short story, Matt, is that he, between his pensions and social security, he's got more income coming in the door than he currently spends. And on top of that, he's got all the assets that he saved. And we'll just, I won't give his exact numbers or figures, but he's got seven figures of, of retirement assets. So he's got over a million dollars. The questions we had for him are, are, were, why are you not spending more money? And his answer came back to all the fears, the unknowns. Well, I don't know what my tax liability is going to look like. I don't know what my medical expenses are going to be. I don't know what uh-ohs I have to plan for, when I might need a new car, when the furnace breaks down. And because of all these unknowns, he just didn't feel okay with increasing his budget to do more fun things. Through the planning process, taxes is a big piece of it. As I said before, Matt, it's one of the two largest expenses in retirement, the other one being healthcare. At Fiat, we don't do healthcare insurance and planning around pre-Medicare, but even post-Medicare, but we have strategic partners that we work with to give exact answers in that space to make sure that the client can feel ultimate comfort around that area of their life as well. But if we can get you comfortable with health insurance, if we can get you comfortable with your tax liabilities, and we can get you comfortable with the idea or concept of what your monies are going to look like over time, it ends up the client saying, you know what, I'm going to take that vacation. I do feel good about where I'm at. And I think the next step or goal for Fiat, quite frankly, Matt, I, I think our next hire, we're going to try to hire a travel agent to nice. have a travel agent internal so that when our clients make that decision that uh, we can send them to somebody internally to start booking those, those trips. What a different relationship that you have with your clients and many other financial services professionals have because the general annual review meetings are talking about performance, performance, performance. My mutual fund's going to beat up your mutual fund, much like you're talking about. But let's talk about the client experience as we kind of wrap up today. What does this process look like? I'm very interested in what you do and how you do it. It's something that appeals to me and is definitely something I'm concerned about getting closer to retirement. If I say, hey, I'd like to work with you, 
what what does the meeting structure look like? I mean, is this like a 30 meeting that's going to take hours and hours and hours of my life? How much what does my client experience in working with Fiat look like? Well, first of all, Matt, I'll just tell you, we don't do meetings any. We have zero meetings. We do visits. <laughs> nice. Okay. I'm just convinced that in meetings you get your your teeth pulled. Visits are over a cup of coffee and, and they're just a lot more fun. At Fiat, it's all visits. That said, the process is pretty thorough. And if we get accused of anything, it's of being slow, but slow is on purpose. Our process is very deliberate because at the end of the day, it all comes back to what I said before. People don't save a pile of money to have a pile of money. In order for me to figure out what John and Jane Lunch Bucket, what makes sense for John and Jane Lunch Bucket, I need to know who they are as people. I need to know what they value. I need to know what their goals are, what outcomes they want. I need to know what they fear and what is holding them back for making the decisions that they could be making nearing retirement or, or, or in retirement. Let's be honest, that takes time. Upfront, what we do, Matt, is we, we spend 45 minutes getting acquainted and then we spend a 60 to 90 minute visit giving kind of a high level, what we call an initial case analysis. And we do all that complimentary because I don't expect you to, or we don't expect prospective clients to make a decision to partner with our firm without some general idea or sense of what we think we can do for them or areas of opportunity in partnering together. We do give a complimentary analysis based on their specific situation. So of course that requires some homework from the prospective client. They have some documentation statements, things like that they need to get to us. And if after that, we both deem it makes sense to partner together then we go through what we call the discovery process. And that's going to be three to five more visits upfront. Most of that time, frankly, is spent getting to know you better. In fact, one of the visits, 60 straight minutes, uh, we call it the interview, where we just ask a bunch of questions. We put the numbers away and we have a lot of questions about who you are as people, all the way down to things like what affects, you know, what happened in your life in the past that affects who you are financially today? Because you meet certain people, as an example, that are super savers. You hear the story and you find out, well, mom and dad grew up in the Great Depression. They saved absolutely everything. They, they instilled that in me. And because of that, I can't bring myself to spend a dime. Well, is that important for me as a financial advisor to know? Of course it is. I need to know those sorts of things. That three to five visits during the discovery process, should we choose to partner together, is one, to get to know our clients on a, on a personal level. And then two, to give specific solutions to get to the outcomes that the client wants. I was literally driving with my uncle today <laughs> and I was, I knew we were, we were podcasting today and I knew what you were going to talk about. And so I was just kind of seeing how my uncle would respond to I know that sounds corny, but, um, <laughs> because he's a super saver right his his parents were were deeply squarely raised during during the depression and he has more money than he'll ever know what to do with ever 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 his big thing is he doesn't know what he's going to do with his time how fascinating is it that you take one of your whole meetings to find out how you can help unlock that stuff from a person's mind so that they know what they can do with their time and that way they can live the retirement that they've worked so hard for i i think sure. that's really remarkable well, and honestly, some people, it's just a bridge too far. We'll never get them to spend their money. And then where we spend all of our time educating is teaching them how to give it away. And some people are willing to do that while they're alive and they're comfortable with that. And other people aren't. They're going to hold on to that until the day they die, which is, that's their prerogative. Look, and we always say here that 
the client is the CEO in the relationship. It's not lost on us that it's their money. It's not my money. We're the CFO. And my job as the CFO is to figure out what you're trying to accomplish as the CEO and just make sure that we get there as efficiently as possible. So your uncle could be one of the people where most of the education is focused on, okay, if that's going to be the way that it is, and I'm not going to be able to, to convince you to, to party, then we need to start positioning the assets in such a way that when you ultimately end your retirement, <laughs> mm -hmm. that the assets are structured to take care of your family, that the IRS isn't your largest benefactor. And that ultimately, if you can control your money from the grave, those outcomes that you would want and, and the people that that money would impact or the charities that that would impact are exactly what happens. And, and that definitely comes to light with a lot of people. It, it's just, it's a generational thing. I do a lot of preparation for these podcasts to make sure that I, I have a good uh, line of questions. But my favorite question I always ask is, what, what should I have asked you that I didn't? I guess nothing comes to mind immediately. I would just really encourage people that are listening to this podcast to seek information, mm. to get comfortable with the idea of either spending their money or giving it away. You know, they've done study after study after study after study and every study's come back exactly the same you know what they found Matt? Mm. you can't take it with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've heard that a few times myself yeah i i could send you white papers <laughs> with that with that in mind if your advisor is not having these conversations with you i'm not telling you to fire them i'm not telling you to call fiat directly just find somebody that's going to get you comfortable with the idea of chasing the outcomes that you want. We live life once, you get one shot at retirement, and the last thing we want is regret. I'll end that by my most personal story, and that is my dad. My dad's blue collar as blue collar gets, hourly jobs his entire life. My parents divorced when I was young, you know, single parent three kids, that whole deal, didn't grow up with money, never really had money in the family. My dad has done a good job on his hourly pay of saving money and, and will at some point here in the future be able to retire. And he's nearing retirement now. And I just had a conversation with him in the last month. And the conversation, Matt, went like this. Brad, I don't like my job. I know you don't like your job, dad. That said, you're nearing retirement and you make more money than you have to make right now. You still need to work. You're not quite at a point where you can quit, but you don't need to make the amount that you make now so you could make less money. And he said, well, what do you think I should do? And I said, I think you should be happy. I think you need to go find a new job and cut your pay in half. Who cares what the pay is as long as it's enough to pay your bills? Just go find something that makes you happy. And ultimately, dad, we've structured things in such a way that when you get to retirement, we don't have these concerns and your money is in a, in a position where it's going to provide the exact income paycheck that we're after. So just go find a job that you're going to be happy with. My dad, who's he probably <laughs> wouldn't care that I say this, one of my smaller clients relative to assets that we manage, as, as blue collar as he is, is also one of the people that I still have to convince that life is not about that pile of money. It's not about how many figures are in that pile of money. And it has nothing to do, literally nothing to do with rate of return. I just think my industry has unfortunately caused people to focus in on one thing and one thing only, and that is that number 
as far as a value of your account is concerned in that number, as far as how much it grew or did not grow this year, all of that is fairly arbitrary relative to the outcomes that you seek. Somebody with a million dollars could die having lived the entire life that they want to live. And then there's other people where that's not even close to what they need. It has nothing to do with numbers. It's all about outcomes. And so focus in on the things that matter, focus in on having fun, focus in on the generosity piece of it, Matt. I think that that more money would be given away in a charitable fashion in this country if people felt permission to do it because they remove the fears and anxiety around not knowing if they've got enough, don't have enough. And so it just leads to a lot of positive ad avenues. And so on a personal level, whether you're somebody like my dad and you've worked paycheck to paycheck your entire life, or you're the person that's been blessed with a really amazing job and you have millions and millions of dollars in your retirement portfolio, just chase outcomes, sit down, spend some time with your spouse if, you're, if you have one and make sure you know what you want. And then make sure that your money is pointed in a direction that will get you there. And almost never does that have anything to do with rate of return. Huh. Well, if I want to live my life that way, what's the best way for me as a potential client to reach out and maybe sit down and pick your brain a little bit? The website is probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. The website is fiat, W-M, F-I-A-T, W-M.com. On the website, you'll find a lot of things. There's a lot of information about the firm map, but there's also the ability to schedule time with not just myself, but any advisor in the practice. We all think the same way. We're all doing the same things here. We're a team. You can jump into any one of those calendars and ask for time. You can email us. The other thing I'd really encourage you to do is check out the events tab on our website. We do a monthly, what we call an inner circle workshop. Really, Matt, what that is, is just an educational workshop that you can participate on Zoom. The topics change every single month. There are months, Matt, where we, like January's Inner Circle Workshop, we have an asset manager coming to talk about what they do, how they do what they do. This asset manager manages billions and billions of dollars, and so we're excited to have him. We have other months, like last month, we had a real estate agent and a travel agent. The real estate agent was talking to our prospective clients and clients about things to be thinking of when you move in retirement or sell your home or you want to downsize. And the travel agent was doing exactly what you think he would be doing during COVID times and trying to tell people, look, if you want to travel, there's still, still some things out there. There's still some places you can go. And these are the precautions that you need to take. We've had lifestyle coaches come on, talk to retirees about hobbies and the importance of, of finding thing to do. So we had the topics change. So go to the events tab, check out our inner circle workshops. We're, we're high education in our firm. And we believe in not only bringing education around what we do specifically here at Fiat, but all the ancillary things that are affected by the decisions you make with your money, whether that's real estate, that's travel, that's lifestyle, whatever it may be. So that's just another easy way to kind of get into the bloodstream of, of Fiat Wealth Management. Well, Brad, I want to thank you personally and also professionally on behalf of all of our listeners for walking us through this IRA exit strategy and all the concerns that people need to have with taxes in retirement. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Brad Gatto, RICP advisor and one of the founding partners at Fiat Wealth Management, just talked to us about an IRA exit strategy and all the things that you need to pay attention to to make sure that you can make good decisions today that can affect your wallet, your retirement, and your tax implications for years to come. So for everybody at Fiat Wealth Management, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. 
you for listening to the Simply Advise podcast. Click on the link to subscribe to our podcast and learn more about how we can help you become more confident and informed about your financial choices.